Hello there, I'm Miranda Gretton and this is Take a Moment with NCHC, the show where we talk to you and your colleagues about experiences that affect you. Listen on your drive between patients or in your downtime, whenever you get the chance to take a moment. Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm a respiratory nurse specialist and I'm based in the West. So, Ashley, tell me a bit about yourself. I'm married. I have a very lovely husband. I have a pet cat who's my best friend. <laughs> I've lived in Norfolk for six years. I've been a nurse for nearly nine years and I'm co-chair of the LGBTQ staff network at NCHNC. I realised at quite a young age that I wasn't necessarily the same as everybody else. So probably around the time sort of finishing primary school, starting secondary school. That was also around the time that Section 28, so the piece of legislation that was essentially a gagging clause um, that's prevented teachers and schools from even discussing the LGBTQ plus community. I knew that I was attracted to boys at a young age, so that was the first uh, inkling that I had. And I actually came out at school when I was 13. I started to tell my friends at school. I didn't tell any of my family until I was 17, I think. And then since then, where, wherever I've been and whoever I've been with, I've been sort of quite open about who I am. But yeah, I've had some interesting experiences with coming out. So I've had some good, some bad. Thankfully, in my adult life, I've not had any sort of bad experiences. And certainly in NCHNC, um, when I joined the trust and my team, they're all lovely. So really positive experience as an adult. 13 is young to to have that kind of yeah that confidence to say something how what, how was it received when you told people at school uh so school was really difficult um probably one of the most difficult periods of my life actually so my close friends were all very supportive and all sort of stuck by me but school in general was really hard i i was bullied pretty much consistently for my whole time throughout school from that point of coming out around 13 up until sort of going into sixth form and one of the most difficult things was that I didn't really have a support network so you had section 28 which stopped teachers and school from saying anything so I would be openly bullied in lessons so people shouting all sorts of obscenities at me and it was as though the teachers were deaf and blind I didn't have a support network at home because I didn't feel at that point that home was a safe place for me to come out. So I just sort of had to shoulder and deal with it all on my own. I had lovely friends, but they were also 13 and 14 and 15 and they were in no position of power to to help and do anything. So it was quite a lonely and isolating time. But I think that's kind of what made me as tough as I am as an adult to sort of live with you know uh, unafraid and and be very open and honest about who I am because I never want to be in that situation where I would allow somebody to sort of push me into a box or make me hide or um, make me feel like I shouldn't be taking up space. And I mean section 28 really like you say the gagging order not being able to offer you any support but also I guess that from a teacher perspective there's no way that they could role model. There must have been gay teachers and yet they couldn't be there for you, even though they must have wanted to be. And that is just so heartbreaking. And I guess the hope now is that children growing up in society now will will be able to be a lot more open and a lot more honest and live their truth. And I guess, I mean, I could be putting words into your mouth here, so do correct me if I'm wrong, but is that one of the reasons why you wanted to become the co-chair so that you could sort of help other people through your lived experience? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important to have sort of visible and vocal role models, people who you can approach for support as well. So that was my other reason for, for wanting to be co-chair. And just with what you were saying about Section 28, yes, of course, there would have been gay teachers, but that was the other part of the legislation that they weren't allowed to be open about their sexuality. That would have risked their jobs and their careers. So understandably, they kept their mouth shut as well. You know, it was a real terrible piece of legislation. I wasn't the only queer person at school. There were loads of other people who were out at school and experienced all the same things that I experienced. There were certainly, I think, two or three of my friends at school who didn't come out until after school when they were at uni, sort of in their early 20s, who knew they were gay at the time when they were at school. But because of the experience that they saw me and other people having, chose to sort of hide that and keep it to themselves for an easy life and for your safety as well. When there's people, you know, threatening you, I can totally understand why people would think, well, you know, that's not for me. I'm going to do everything I can to protect myself. We're recording this in June, so we've got Pride coming up soon in July. So what is it about Pride in 2023 that is different now? I've seen you talk before about how Pride is still protest at the end of the day. Talk me through your feelings about it. I've certainly heard people speak about, well, why do we need Pride anymore? You know, gay people can get married now, they can adopt, they can do this, they can do that. It's so important to be aware that this is more than just legal rights and protections. They're lovely and I'm so grateful to have them while there are still open discrimination in this country and around the world. You know, Pride is still very, very relevant. And not everybody around the world enjoys the same legal rights and protections that we have in this country. And it's about standing up for them and their rights as well. I never think it's okay to sort of say, oh, I've got what I need, so that's cool, we can stop here. No, until everybody is free, nobody is free. That's sort of my mantra and my outlook on things. Certainly, we've seen in the media in the last sort of couple of years a huge increase in attacks on the LGBT community on a near daily basis. There's articles being published with um, sort of anti-trans spin on them. Trans people's rights are up for debate all over the place. And in that respect, things have gotten worse in recent years and we need to do something about that. We can't rest on our laurels and be like, oh, cool, we've got the Equality and Diversity Act, brilliant, we're sorted. Absolutely not. There's still so much work to do and we need people's help with that as well. So as much as Pride is a celebration and about coming together as a community so that people can have a safe space to be who they are and enjoy that celebration, it is still very much a protest. We've still got a long, long way to go. And as I said, until everyone's free, no one's free. That's a really good way of putting it. How do you feel about it in terms of the trust? I mean, do you think in a way we're in a similar place that we can't rest on our laurels? We've come pretty far with EDI and the trust, but is there still a way to go, do you think? Absolutely. I will say that as NHS organisations go, NCHNC is one of the best that I've experienced personally in terms of EDI, which is really lovely and that's a great place to start and that's the key thing, a great place to start. Um, you're so right, we can't rest back and say, yeah, we've got staff networks, we've got a policy, brilliant, we're all sorted. 
and because we know uh, we've seen results in the staff survey that have told us um, that our LGBTQ plus staff members are experiencing greater levels of discrimination from service users and sadly from staff as well and um, which totally isn't what we want to hear and I know that's not a unique issue to this community I know that there are issues with other sort of minority groups and you know I joined them in that fight we're, we're here for everybody to support everybody so that everyone in the organization staff service users patients relatives everyone can have the best and most inclusive experience possible like you say overall is great we Absolutely. are doing really well but there is always going to be more that we could be doing what is that like what does that look like to you one of my big things is that obviously the NHS says that all staff in the NHS need to do some sort of equality diversity and inclusion training a lot of that mandatory training focuses on the legal protected characteristics and being aware of those and things like that which is great those things are important but what they don't pick on are the nuances of people's behavior people's language that they use these are really important things to people within a minoritized community and those are the things that make the difference for people's experiences so knowing that let's for argument's sake say 95% of staff have completed this mandatory training doesn't help me as a person when I overhear colleagues or another team having a conversation using homophobic language transphobic language so that training hasn't helped it's not taught people the things that they need to be aware of and those people that are having those conversations might not be aware of what they're saying you might not know the appropriate language to use. It's those really small things and they can be difficult to capture because a survey is not going to pick them up and a policy isn't going to pick them up. But they're really important because it's those things that have an impact on people's experiences. So having sort of more wide reaching and broad training for everybody is something that I'm really keen on. Obviously, people might be aware we've got the how to be an ally training, which has been recently set up, which is amazing and everybody should do it. So please, if you're interested, contact Mercy and get signed up for that because it's so great and it really makes you stop and think and gives you some really great resources to look at and just sort of start to reshape your thinking and think about how you can be a good ally. Um, so allyship is so important. And as I said, we are minorities. So we need the support of majorities to to help us and make sure that we're supported. That is really interesting because the staff networks, for example, you might think, oh, I am gay or I am trans. So I'm going to join the network so that I have a safe space and I have some colleagues who I can talk to. Perfect. That is what it, absolutely what it's for. But you're right. The problem might be, like you say, the person who is not yet an ally who is not in a community, maybe has a protected characteristic, but doesn't necessarily know how to speak about another protected characteristic. That's Absolutely. where the education needs to happen, isn't it? Absolutely. And within the community as well, you know, I'm one person, I have my lived experience, I know how I feel, but that doesn't mean I can't learn from somebody else who's within the community. We all have things to learn about everything outside of our own experience. We would love allies from everywhere to join us and be curious don't be afraid to ask questions I think that's a really important thing and I think people are afraid sometimes of getting it wrong so they just don't say anything if your intention is good you can be corrected be educated and then be better next time 
we had Sharifa come and talk to us in the staff network, which was amazing. And I think the phrase she used was do the best you can until you know better. And I think that's such a really good way to look at things. Just do your best. And if someone says, do you know what? You shouldn't use that word, use this one instead. Brilliant, thanks, I've learned. Let, then we all grow together. And if you have an intention to be an ally, but you're you're not entirely sure what that looks like that's also fine you can come forward and have the training and and see what it's all about I think ultimately being an ally really is calling things out pointing things out when you see them and just being there for people you described that that scenario of where you might overhear a conversation what we don't want to happen is for staff to just let that happen pretend they didn't hear it not tackle it there's a way of tackling it you don't have to go up to the person having the conversation and yell at them but you could go to your line manager and say I've just overheard this and it's not appropriate it, it's upsetting to, to some staff could you deal with it please there's absolutely always a way to handle those things exactly and that's such a, a good point as well and that's a real demonstration of how allyship can be so valuable. Having someone who doesn't have that protected characteristic to stand up and say, oh, do you know what? I heard that or you did that and that wasn't great. And this is what you need to do in future is so, so valuable because it can be exhausting to be someone who has that characteristic and always feel like it's you have to educate people because I'm a person, I'm a human being, I'm a nurse and I'm paid to be a nurse. I'm not paid to be an LGBTQ plus educator for the whole world. So while I will always stand up when something's gone wrong or interject if I am hear something that's inappropriate, that needs challenging, I will always do that. My job isn't to constantly educate people on these issues. So the more allyship we have, the more people are aware, the better it is for everybody in the community. I noticed in your email signature that your pronouns are they, he? They, he. So, they, yeah. he. Just, okay, explain yeah, that so, to me. So, well, that was just me being lazy, really. I should type out they, them, slash he, him. <laughs> so uh, those are the pronouns that I use. I generally prefer they, them, but because I'm generally male presenting, most people will default to he, him. And there is an element of I just can't be bothered to keep correcting people all the time. So it's more ease than anything else, I suppose, why I add he, him on there as well. When I was in my mid late 20s, I discovered the term non-binary and uh, I think it was a YouTube video I was watching and uh, the person on there was just talking about their experience and their gender identity. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I didn't even know that this was possible, but you're describing exactly how I feel. It was something that I'd questioned for a long time. I knew I wasn't trans. I knew that I didn't feel like a woman and I wasn't going to transition, but I also knew that I wasn't totally masculine either. Yeah, it was really confusing and I had no language to attach to it. Um, and then when I heard about non-binary and all these different things, gender queer, gender non-conforming, gender fluid, I was like, oh my goodness, there are all these people who have similar experiences to me, something that I can relate to. And I think it's really nice to be able to identify other people who are like you, who maybe have shared experiences. It's a nice way to introduce yourself to people as well um, if you've not met them before and you're not sure. And it's much nicer to offer your pronouns first rather than almost saying, oh, my name's this, what are you? Because that's quite a horrible thing to be on the receiving end of. And it makes you feel very othered and that's a really horrible feeling. But if you lead with, hi, I'm Ashley, my pronouns are they, them, and you are, and then they can introduce themselves and give you their pronouns. So that's a safe 
way to do it and quite a nice way to do it. It's that sort of constant thought process, isn't it, before you speak that must add to the exhaustion. When you just described that there, that you, if someone offers you theirs, you know you're safe to say yours. It's like, how sad is it that you can't just say yours? What you have to have that little beat where you go, am I okay to say this? Yeah, that's um, a really important point, actually. So it was a discussion I was having with my mum a while ago, actually. I can only speak for myself. Other people might feel differently, but I feel as a queer person navigating the world, my life outside of my house, I guess, is almost like a constant risk assessment. I can never go anywhere or do anything without always assessing the risk. And that sort of speaks to why pride is so important and allyship is so important. And that's wherever I go. So if I go out for dinner, if I go into a bar, because people are drinking, people are not necessarily always thinking about what they're doing as much as they would do in a sort of sober space. So that's for me, one of the most high risk areas. So if I were approaching a, a pub or a bar or something, and I can see loads of people outside who are really loud and rowdy, instantly my internal alarm is like, don't think this is safe, don't think this is safe, maybe we shouldn't go in here. And navigating the world like that is really tiring. And I sometimes forget how tiring that is because that's been my normal for such a long time. Sometimes you forget the toll that that places on you and, it, you know, all sorts of things, things like holidays. I can't just book a holiday anywhere in the world. I have to look up first. Is it legal to be queer in this country? Am I going to get arrested or am I going to be attacked? All of these different things that play into your life and how you navigate the world. So that's why, again, like I say, pride is so important and having space, safe spaces um, like the staff networks are so important. There is that filter that you put on the world for safety. And it, yeah, I think a lot of people won't think about that. They won't think that that's how you live your life. I certainly had conversations with people where they've been surprised at like holidays, for example, that I would have to look that up first because there's just an assumption that it's okay to be gay or queer or lesbian or trans anywhere or that they just wouldn't think that you would need to think about those things. So it's so important that we have these conversations and people are aware of things like that. I think it is important as well to acknowledge that although that is my experience and that's how I feel internally, I have a lot of privilege because of what I look like on the outside. So unless I have a conversation with somebody and open up about my life to them, what they see is a man with a wedding ring on. So that buys me quite a lot of power and privilege in society. So I have what's called passing privilege. So although I may not be those things internally, when you're those things externally, you can pass in certain spheres and we call that passing privilege. And that's really important to acknowledge. So my experience is probably better than a lot of other people's who don't have that passing privilege and are more likely to encounter sort of over um, discrimination and abuse and things like that. I don't want to be woe is me because I'm very lucky in certain ways, but it's just to open up that conversation and get people thinking about actually people navigate the world in all sorts of different ways and have to think about all sorts of different things to live a good and safe and enjoyable life. And as you say, the, the staff networks are so important to that. What would you say to anyone who's sort of thinking about joining the staff network, but isn't maybe sure if they want to or not? So if you're not sure if it's for you and you want to find a bit more about it, you're 
very, very welcome to get in touch with me. I'm sure Ellie, um, who's the other co-chair, co would also be equally happy to, to speak to people who are interested in joining or speak to Mercy as well and EDI. Just reach out, drop us an email or, you know, we can arrange a little Teams chat or a call or something like that. Ask questions, find out what it's about, see if it's for you. Being a member of the staff network doesn't mean you have to come to absolutely every meeting and be involved in absolutely everything. Don't be frightened. We're all very lovely. We all want to just make the best working environment that we can for everybody. Um, so yeah, just reach out, speak to us, and we'll uh, we'll do our best to to help and make you feel comfortable so that you can join and make the most out of it. Thank you for listening to Take a Moment with NCHC. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes. You can also follow NCHC on all social media channels.